0: Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance. I'm Kane. he's Tom, and today we're joined by special guest Jacob Berry of Clumio. Now, last episode, we talked about Mark Haupt's bad time with his 3PAO. Today we're going to be talking about timing, cost, and go-to-market support for FedRAMP. But first, beer. Uh, Jacob, what are we drinking today?
1: All right. So I got something for the audience to maybe disappoint them, or maybe they'll be excited depending <laughs> on the type of person they are. But so I, I have an athletic brewing company and I was able to get the light is the one. So it's like a, oh, okay. a it, it's like their Miller light knockoff. I was trying to get the Corona one, um, their okay. Corona knockoff that they have, but these are alcohol free. So for those of us who don't drink as much, which I still drink here and there, I'm not like a, a chip carrying member of AA, but I'm a I make bad decisions when I drink too much, and so I stick with the non-alcoholic <laughs> for most days, and then I pick a couple of good weekends for myself in a year. Um,
0: well, wait, bad decisions in FedRAMP? This sounds like a Yeah, if you, map, if you combine uh, tequila
1: and FedRamp, that's when, well. <laughs> that's when I'll make some real bad decisions for myself. Um, so I got to
0: ask, Jacob, so they, why did they card me at the store? Because you said this is de-alcoholized or non-alcoholized. Why did they is. card me?
1: Yeah, it's half a percent It's mine. Oh, there's
2: still that half a percent for you, Kane. And they looked, they took one look at you and they said, half a percent, we should probably card this guy.
1: So. <laughs> this guy's trouble.
0: Well, as we usually do, uh, at this point, Jacob, I think we may as well open this up and uh, crack get a it. sense of, of what we're doing.
2: Now, I think Jacob, I think, is drinking a different beer than at least the one that I got. Yeah, which one do uh, you I get? I got. The Cerveza Athletica, which I think you said is a Corona knockoff. Yeah, got,
1: that one's like that the one's Corona it. style, is what they say. All right. not really say, but reading between the lines.
2: Well, we're gonna pour this. Oh my gosh! I'm
1: There's right from no, the way can. Way more color can. than I, mean, I would have thought. Yeah. So I got the light, so I'm supposed to bring drink it from the can, I think.
2: Otherwise, you it, can yeah, you can you can drink it however <laughs> you like. I believe you should do
0: that on a golf course as well, if I'm if I'm correct. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Man, look at the color on that. That's a, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to lie. That surprises me. Yeah, very amber, very coppery. it it's got
1: some
2: uh, it did, on it, too. It did pour with a head, which is
1: another surprise on these beers. It smells I'm like actually
0: beer. I can confirm that.
1: Genuinely interested in what you have to say, Tom, if you think they're doing a good job representing beer in a non-alcoholic way.
2: Well, I will say this. it, it The nose on it doesn't match the color, meaning it, it's not very char- characteristically malty in, in mm-hmm. smell.
1: Right.
0: I don't know I kind of get like a uh, well if I if I lean past like the cheap 1980s beer smell there's some like hint of caramel in there
2: yeah it's very very small at least on my nose I'm gonna taste it I'm I'm interested. yeah I
0: think that's pretty much what we're all doing here oh okay oh
2: <laughs> so uh oh. so m- mouth fill it it's pretty thin so it's not very Yes, Thank it's goodness. not. What I always say to, to Kane is, if it's a good beer, it usually coats your tongue and makes you want another drink. Mm-hmm. This is pretty thin.
1: I'd agree.
0: Yeah, I would agree that it is thin, and thankfully, it does not coat my tongue. Uh, which I've considered bringing a tongue brush up to the office, actually, just for these episodes, <laughs> Tom. Just well,
1: behind you know, the scenes
0: movie magic there.
2: It does have a hint of the sort of the amber maltiness in the flavor. It's it, again, it's very thin. It's not, it's not sticking around.
1: Do you guys use like a risk matrix to score these?
2: <laughs> we use, a, we use a, a scale. It's not a risk matrix, but it's a scale. We, might, a scale we one, might build the scale yeah. into the product. We're, we're talking about it, but yeah, yeah I mean. Thankfully,
0: I, I will say there's not a lot going on there, which is not unpleasant, actually. I mean, it still tastes like um, kind of like weak beer, I suppose.
2: Yeah, Wait, I would say it it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't have any of the, the really strong characteristics you'd get typically with a beer that's this this color and mm. this variety. You certainly miss the alcohol if you're if you're used to drinking this style of beer. Um, yeah, all that said, it's not an unpleasant drink, so it's fairly sessionable. So you could sit down with friends and drink quite a bit of this, and you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't be um, put out by that. You know, like a. A stout or something that's thicker and maybe even matches this color you might get, you might fill up quickly on that not this
0: yeah that definitely checks out well um we will give our ratings and reviews for uh this the athletic brewing company surveys atletica uh we will give those at the end of the episode today but for right now we've got jacob on to talk about FedRAMP. ramp and uh jacob first question to you um when should an organization consider pursuing FedRAMP authorization? And um, would you say there's any specific triggers or milestones that indicate that it's the, the right time?
1: Yeah. So from a, a cost perspective, I don't know if there's ever a right time. Could be, I think we're going to talk about cost a little bit maybe uh, later, so I won't go too far into that. But a lot of smaller organizations you'll see start saying they're going to get into FedRAMP because they have an enterprise customer saying, they require their third parties to be FedRAMP certified. And this is, in my opinion, being someone who works at typically smaller technology companies. It's kind of a large enterprise being lazy in some effect. So a third party provider does not have to be FedRAMP certified for another company to become FedRAMP. Right? So you have one company that's serving the federal government some software, and they have to be FedRAMP certified. And then they go to all their suppliers and they say, you guys also now have to be FedRAMP because we're going to be FedRAMP. And so in the smaller technology providers, you'll see that's the primary driver. You'll hear people saying, my customers are asking me to do FedRAMP. They're asking me to put in my contracts that I'm gonna be FedRAMP certified. And it's kind of a lazy way to make the FedRAMP process easier for larger organizations that are already doing business with the federal government. So for a lot of people that may listen to this, I think that's probably why they're getting into FedRAMP or they're starting to look at it if they're not doing it already. It's because their enterprise customers want it of them. Is that a good reason for a business to do FedRAMP? I can't say. It's a, it really depends on the contractual value of those customers. And is it that's a true great. requirement? Or can you sit down with them and say, hey, for us, you're the only customer that's going to require this of us. So you should maybe consider letting us have a pass on this one and just include us in the, the same way you would include any of your other software. When you do your application, when you're doing your process and submitting um, your authority to operate package the other two Tom,
0: ways that sounds kind of familiar to our situation right
1: yeah i mean
2: i think if i read the tea leaves and in, in what you said jacob you're really saying you should make it a business decision not a reactive decision to a a single customer or maybe even a couple customers and i think right. that's where we were Hundred percent certainly as as we made that decision we looked and we said hey we see a pivot you know first of all our our requirement to move to FedRAMP is really based upon the kind of data we store, right? So, mm-hmm. if we're going to we're going to store a certain kind of data for any uh, customer, if they're doing business with the federal government, that is going to put our product into their boundary uh, for uh, f- for FedRAMP authorization. But we certainly looked at it from a business perspective, and we said, "Hey, is there a real market opportunity here?" Rather than just say, "Hey, do we need to preserve you know some small piece of our revenue
1: today?" Right. Smart.
0: And Jacob, you think you said there were a couple other ways too?
1: Yeah, so let's talk about the obvious way is you've been selling to the federal government for a really long time. And then a few years back, they started talking about this new thing called FedRAMP and how everyone's required to do it. And so if you're listening to this and then that's a surprise to you that you've already been selling software that's a SaaS product to the federal government and you're not on the FedRAMP journey, you're probably going to lose your contract quickly because I think the deadline's September this year. Don't quote me on deadlines, but...
0: 20 or September 2023, just for September those who are watching in the
1: future. Right, this is 2023. So this year, uh, during procurement review and renewals last year in 2022, you're supposed to have to prove sort of that you have a path to FedRAMP in 2023. So if you're already a provider, that would be one reason you're doing FedRAMP. Because you've already been selling to the federal government. You have a steady revenue. You have a way of getting out revenue from the federal government. And then the third one is not selling to enterprise but actually going to pursue and start selling to the federal government so this would be typically a separate P&L, a government business unit you would then establish to sell to the government if you're already doing enterprise business if you're a brand new business and you're saying i think my market is federal more than say state or local small business or enterprise obviously FedRAMP is and you're building software as a service product but there's a little asterisk there it's a software as a service product and you're going to sell to the federal government You have to be thinking about fedramp from day one there's uh little ways you can get around fedramp as in you have this unique product um you've brainiac something that's so unique to the market and so valuable to the government they'll push you through without a fedramp certification but that level of value that you have to prove so because someone has to basically go and say i'm going to get so much value out of this let's skip fedramp for now and they can do that but it's extremely rare um, more rare than a lot of, there's probably a lot of, um, I don't want to be mean to people, but there's probably a lot of CEOs out there would say my product has a, a use in the government that's better than anyone else's. But the reality is that's <laughs> very difficult to get someone to agree to that. In the federal government.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. I can imagine that must be, uh, there, there are not enough unique permutations of SaaS solutions for this.
1: Right, right.
2: Yeah. Uh, honestly, right, and- the, the movement to FedRAMP is what makes the pro the, a number of these products unique in and of itself, right? You're differentiating right. your own market just by becoming FedRAMP certified or authorized.
0: Yeah. Yep. Definitely. And Jacob, you also at the top mentioned something about price and business decisions. So uh, walk us through some insights into the typical costs associated with the FedRAMP process. Uh, and that should include any hidden or unexpected expenses.
1: Yeah, so I I think one of the, there's two major hidden expenses that people don't see that I'll start with and I can kind of maybe go through and I'll list off the ones I know and then you guys can add in the ones that you know that I might miss. I'm brainstorming here, but the ones that are hidden are typical U.S. staffing for teams that are uh, 24 by 7 that you use regional coverage for. So if you have an India team, a China team, a Japanese team that you're using to provide support or coverage to U.S. or maybe Romania where it's popular to do security product support out of um yeah that can't happen if you're fed ramp high if you're fed ramp high all work and all data that's viewed has to be through u.s citizens and so if you're currently serving your enterprise customers through that all the sun model you now have to look at staffing a full u.s team which the costs are higher as everyone knows that's a, a hidden cost that people don't really consider because it's Other business units often outside of maybe product or whoever is pushing the FedRAMP initiative. On the second hidden cost there is the overall business structure. So say you are going to sell to a federal business of some sort. How do you plan, what channels are you going to use to distribute your software? How do you do that? Do you have federal sales teams in place now? That can be a hidden cost to people who are serving one market and say, how much is it going to cost to do FedRAMP? And maybe Tom, on the security side you go, uh, well, we have these gaps we think that we did our self-assessment on. We can roughly estimate, uh, I don't know, three dev sprints to close them, whatever it might be, three, six, yeah, 12. That's right. And that's going to cost us 400000 whatever it might. Um, that's one cost, right? And then, well, we don't have a federal staff. Well, we actually have no idea how we get a CAGE or DUNS code. We don't even know what those are. There's another. You have to establish a new business unit. Are you going to use a separate BU to do business as? The government, so you then establish a new one. There is legal costs associated with establishing a new business. So there's a lot of these other sub costs to doing business with the federal government that you might not consider when you get into FedRAMP.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think many costs that you know people have been through the process um, now think of as normal costs. I would say are are pretty hidden costs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're now pretty. You know, to somebody who's just stepping into FedRAMP, they're pretty hidden. You know, for instance, you may be using a product that you're extremely happy with, and it may be, you know, in our case, it's it's front-ending all of our authentication. For instance, it's well thought of in the industry. It's it's a it's a best-in-class product, but it it itself isn't uh, FedRAMP authorized. So you know, there's hidden costs there. Not only do we have to pick a new product, but we have to um, build all the integration into that new product, Um, and that takes time, takes cycles in our in our dev team. So. Now, yeah. you may believe you're 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 on a nice platform, a good foundation for FedRAMP, and you may have that rug pulled right underneath, out underneath out of underneath you. And those are costs that you're just going to have to kind of grin and bear.
1: I think the total cost to, to go back maybe to the original question, what people want to hear that are listening is probably I want to hear the number. It's mm-hmm. really hard, but it's I'd say between 250 to 2 million for most com- companies. And that's a huge range. But it's probably closer yeah. to the million plus for most people. Yeah, so you, I, it, you
0: mean two hundred fifty thousand, not two hundred fifty million. So it's two hundred two hundred quarter million dollars to two million dollars ish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So say you did everything right already, you had a very small product, you're already in GovCloud, you're building with the government consumer in mind already, you've already eaten probably a lot of that cost in building, and then you would just have to pay for your preparer and your three PO and other things to get the paperwork done. Basically, you could probably do it for two fifty. That would be an ideal state that no one's ever going to achieve but there's someone out there that can do it for two feet
2: <laughs> yeah you know when it I, sounds I, like
0: there's some, some oh, go ahead tom and then I've got
1: i was
2: gonna say what, when i was looking price. at when i was looking at it in terms of, of building the project plan right yeah numbers were all over the place and you know we saw in you know 2018 the average cost was about a million dollars to get uh fed through fedramp ato and that included you know all of the the product additions that you had to make and, and some of the pivots you had to make with personnel. It was kind of all encompassing, and then we saw that cost kind of climbing on average. And I think in twenty twenty two the number was two and a half million, but I always think of it in terms of those are the people that are reporting, and they're not normally going out and interviewing right. the smaller organizations. Right. So I, I agree with your point, Jacob. I think if you're a smaller organization such as hyperproof, right. And you've purpose built from the beginning with security in mind, even if, if your product isn't necessarily aimed directly at the U S government, but if you've mm-hmm. aimed, if you've built with a, a security mindset from the beginning and you sort of built best practices into your product, you're going to, you're going to significantly cut that cost, uh, ramp down. And, um, so it really, to your original point, it, it it's a it's a matter of where you start. It's not right. a matter of just of just everybody starts equally.
0: Yeah, and I want to double click on that because you've both mentioned some conceptual best practices. Um, Jacob, you were talking about building on GovCloud. Tom, you were talking about building with security in mind. Um, kind of a question for both of you: uh, knowing what we know now, in all of our FedRAMP experiences how would you recommend approaching the FedRAMP process to ensure a a smooth and successful experience?
1: You want to go first on this one, Tom?
2: Sure, I'd I'd be happy to. So, you know, again, it really is a question of where you start. In my mind, now, if if you've already been uh, heavily invested in some security framework, you know you're going to have a significant step up in terms of, of going after FedRAMP, especially if you've chosen to be, uh, you know, sort of like NIST 800.53 or, or something, you know, just adjacent to that. Um, you know, that is that is essentially the base of FedRAMP. So you're, you're going to be a long way down that road. I also would say you're going to want to do, you know, no matter where you think you are, you're going to want to do a significant gap assessment. Um, and you're going to want to, you know, it, Cain, we covered that in one of our early episodes, but you want a, mm-hmm. you want a good understanding of where you start, um, what is already in place, and where do you think those gaps are going to um, sort of expand with more introspection, right? Um, that's going to get you a long way up front um, if you can sort of pull those covers back early.
0: Jacob, what else for best practices think, can, to get ready to if, get into FedRAMP?
1: I think it's board-level commitment, and mm-hmm. that's, that's something that it takes a lot more. And if you're not leaning on your board, when you go into FedRAMP a little bit to find out if there's someone that has experience or can help you with the process or get you your sponsor, um, that's an area I think a lot of people miss. So when I say board level commitment, it's about doing that gap assessment, doing what you think your full cost of ownership will be in year one, two, and three, putting that together, packaging it, and making sure at the board level and CEO level that there's an understanding on that cost, burnout, what it looks like, the hiring How does that hiring plan get executed over time? Uh, If you need to hire US-based resources, uh, when does does that come on board, right? Because you can go through the whole FedRAMP process and kind of not have to hire most people because you probably aren't serving a lot of customers. Let's go back to the support example because it's really easy to conceptualize. You only probably have to hire one person and that's your 24 by 7 support and they have a cell phone for the first year because you probably aren't going to acquire any customers besides maybe who's your sponsor unless you're going the jab route um and then your cost though the next year you bring on two or three customers you're going to have to hire eight ten support people Costs are going to balloon a little bit that year so that board level commitment and understanding what that looks like and how that's going to impact your margin again that's probably why you want to establish it as a separate business and measure that separately revenue separately report that separately again if you're publicly traded depending where your funding comes from uh, for a lot of startups their funding and their talent comes from global uh, that has implications when you're selling to the federal government. How you do that, and how you report on that, what's auditable from a financial perspective. And you may make your CFO very scratchy and itchy in meetings when you uh, start bringing up FedRAMP and inspection of the books. These, not because people do things wrong, but just because the federal government looks at things differently than the enterprise market. That's right.
0: Definitely, definitely. A lot of good things there. But also I'm, I'm hearing the big theme is this is not a technology project. This is a business project. First and foremost, it is a business decision. You talked about getting um, executive level, board level sponsorship and commitment. Um, what about go-to-market, Jacob? Can you, you can you discuss the importance of go-to-market support for organizations that sure. have obtained FedRAMP certification?
1: So let's look at, the I think, the two routes that most people. Do. So there's actually a third kind of route that you can get FedRAMP through, which is a little sketchy is the way I'm going to put it. I don't want to offend again any of the businesses offering services in this space, but I don't know how long those type of businesses are going to get away with offering these sort of like FedRAMP as a service <laughs> offerings where you basically pay them a bunch of money. They put your software in an already ramped environment. They amend their package and do this thing. And then you're supposed to have some sort of FedRAMP certificate. I don't know. I don't, I don't believe in it, but there's companies that do that. Um, if the companies that do that disagree with this and listen to this, I'd love to talk to them because I want to learn more about how it works. I haven't talked with them directly. So. so there's two normal routes, though, to get a FedRAMP certification. One is through what would be called a sponsorship. That's a federal agency that says, I want to use your product, and in doing so, I know I need to have a FedRAMP, so I will sponsor you through this FedRAMP process and be the one to raise my hand and say, what's a value That's the easy route. Uh, The hard route is a jab, so there's a board essentially that you put your package in front of and then they approve that package. Uh, So there's three routes right there. There's the sketchy route, which could work for some businesses to mean it. Um, It just won't work in all situations. There's the normal route people try to go, which is the sponsor route. And then there's third, which is the jab route. If you're doing the jab route, you're looking at about 18 months to maybe over three years to get a FedRAMP certification. So most people don't go that way. To bring that back to to go-to-market, you probably don't need to invest in a go-to-market if you're doing the jab. You can just do it and get your certification. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to worry about how you're going to acquire a federal customer. Most people don't want to do that. You're going to go and tell your CEO you're going to spend a million and a half, get something in three years, and not acquire any revenue through it. It's a pretty hard sell. It's not true for all businesses, again drawing some lines, but a little bit of drama makes things more clear. The, <laughs> so the, the go to market part comes in when you need to obtain what's known as a sponsor. And to get a sponsor, that essentially means you have to convince a federal entity that they're going to buy from. You. Um, so there's a bunch of things you have to do to get to that point. One, you have to know how to sell to the federal government, it can take one to three years. To get a government contract alone, too, for a normal person that's not putting a lot of time into that. Uh, if you're in a commoditized market, that just means essentially there's 20 other players in this market. There are bidding on the same government contracts. When are those contracts up for bid? What type of contracts are there? Are they normal schedule like GSA, or are they sort of another? There's other purchasing mechanisms that the government can use, like a bulk purchasing agreements. Oh. Are they coming through that because uh, there's a great example i worked in the endpoint, endpoint space before the current company and in that space new york state buys their endpoint software from a provider i won't say it. it's public knowledge you can go look it up but i just won't say um, what it is they buy all of it for all of new york state all state agencies all city agencies which if you've done a new york city business you know how many millions of dollars of software is done just in the city of new york for agencies They're all purchased on one master contract and they distribute that endpoint software to all these small entities. So if you don't know that though, and you just have sales guys calling up and you have normal enterprise sales guys who aren't sled salespeople that know to go and look at these contracts and see how it's distributed. I have a great opportunity for you. This guy says he hates this product that's in his, he wants to buy a new endpoint product. That guy will never buy from this. He can't, he's just, he's locked into that contract. So you have to have salespeople that understand how are you going to get into a customer? Where do you find customers? I, there's a lot of really great uh, third parties out there, like CareSoft and some other distributors that can help with this and have go-to-market teams and support, so you sign a contract with them and distribute the targets. But you have to then have some sort of channel manager that knows those relationships and knows how to leverage that, knows how to bring those to market. So to acquire that sponsorship for FedRAMP, you have to think about how you're going to acquire that customer and what it means to acquire a customer and all of these moving pieces when selling federal government are not normal when you're just in an enterprise, it's just dial the phone until someone says they want to buy. Right. That's not true to government at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. What's, what's interesting is you, know, you took a very government focused go to market approach, which I think totally makes sense because there's a huge amount of money that gets spent sure. uh, in the federal government space. And that's really why FedRAMP was, was built. You know, our right. go to market is, is, you know, sort of adjacent to that. We really see the bulk of our business uh, being in other service providers to the federal government. Um, right. you know, just the nature the nature of GRC brings us into their authorization boundary. We know there's gonna be, um, geez, you know, 20 or 30 new companies every month mm-hmm. get, get ATO'd with, um, with the federal government for FedRAMP. So um, right. that market just continues to swell and grow, right? So that's where we look at it. So we can essentially dial, <laughs> but but it still it still requires a a finessed approach, meaning you know you have sure. to d- distill that market down. Um, you you better understand why your product plays specifically to that market, uh, and you're going to build mm-hmm. collateral in in sort of run books associated with that market um, to to exploit it to, to the best of your ability. So it's a little different approach, certainly than than just the dial for dollars approach that you know lots of sales right. departments have. So.
1: Yeah. If, and in your case, um, have you guys gotten to the spot? You're in the journey actively, right?
2: We're so, in the ac- Yeah, we're actively in the journey. You know, we're talking to sponsors. Yeah, um, I'll be, you know, just in the in the, um, you know, in the putting everything transparently and into light. That's that's really the hardest part of this um, journey mm-hmm. for me. Uh, but we also know, chose
0: not to do jab and we chose not to do the sketchy like uh, in a box methodology.
2: Yep, that's right so you know we are looking for a sponsor i've had many 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 conversations with sponsors um you know there's lots of folks that are interested but you know they we are never going to be their number one priority so Mm -hmm. trying to get those conversations moved forward has been very difficult and i think if we brought a person onto the team that just focused on that it would still be difficult you know it's it's not a it's just not an easy ask to to say go find a sponsor so yeah, it's a challenge.
0: And I want to rotate back to something Tom said. And Jacob, maybe you've got a perspective on this. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how FedRAMP would intersect with other compliance frameworks like um, like NIST or FISMA or ISO. Sure, like, right. if there's any synergies or any uh, overlaps that organizations could leverage to really streamline their FedRAMP effort.
1: FedRAMP, from a controls perspective, let's just talk controls, not the total package and preparation, everything you prove to the government about how you do what you do is pretty much just NIST. If you download okay. the controls matrix, the spreadsheet, it just says the NIST control and it literally says in the spreadsheet header, NIST description of the control. So it pretty much is NIST. Now, more or less. Where it deviates from NIST is show you know your architecture diagrams. And you're this that NIST doesn't say show me architecture diagrams. It just says, here's a list of things that you can do to be more secure. And so FedRAMP takes that list of things to do to be more secure and says, here's the ones you must do. These are the ones we care about at a low level, a medium level, or a high level. And you can map those back. There's a billion things you can just type in Google, NIST to SOF, or just pay a consultant. And they'll, they'll do all that mapping for you or have your summer intern do it. That's the best way to do mappings, right? <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> tedious work is what I'm well, getting or at. Or you there. could have
0: HyperProof do it for you as or, well. There's yeah.
1: a company called HyperProof that can have these for you. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but it it's sounds it's like if as, you're on it's NIST, yes.
0: it's an easy day. So, it's, so what if you're not on NIST? What if you chose to you go know, somewhere else? CIS, CSC, uh, sorry, Center for Internet Security, Critical Security Controls. Or maybe you're in Europe, the EU, and you're, or Canada, and you're doing
1: ISO. Yeah, so ISO maps to SOC, to NIST. ISO and NIST all map very easily because they have just lists of controls, basically. All of them usually then map the common criteria. It's very easy to go back and forth because people do that very often in business. Um, Things like CIS or others, which are much more framework-oriented from a... Just kind of do this... It's a little harder, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, to map, but CIS also does have matrices that you can download say, here's the CIS control, here's the NIST control. And then you download the FedRAMP one, you search between the two and you have someone sit there for four weeks pasting. Yes, we need this. This is our response from our audit from this one to this one.
2: Yeah. That, that, um, arduous sort of mapping, yeah. you're going to have to go through that, but you are going to find out, you know, if you're complying with ISO, if you're complying with SOC two, a lot of the practices that you have in place today, they are going to ultimately be transferable over to FedRAMP. There may be some prescriptive natures inside of FedRAMP that says you have to do something maybe 15 degrees, you know, different right. than you do it today. But the fact that you already have it in place and you just have to tweak it, that's going to save you a load of time. So there is absolutely um, energy that you that you get out of having some of these things already completed.
1: It's I think fantastic it, if, if you've mapped your security program to NIST and you're ISO compliant already. If FedRAMP yeah. isn't a, a a huge leap from a con- from a controls perspective, right? From I the think documentation, <laughs> from a the Yeah, the exception to so that. So if you uh, uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. yeah, I'll just do quickly the exception to that is flows of data. So you kind of have to prove how data flows in the FedRAMP environment that you typically don't do for ISO. It's, it's very checkbox oriented. Take a screenshot of your backup solution. You get a screenshot of this when are other audits, but ramp is. Prove to me how the data flows, prove to me that you put the controls in, prove to me that you know what's happening in your environment, which is a much different approach than other.
0: Yeah, and we talked a little bit about that on prior episodes around the authorization boundary because I think that's, as you say, Jacob, that's one of those differences with ISO or with NIST is within this enclave, within this environment you are operating your controls, a specific prescribed way via FedRAMP, moderate high, whereas NIST and ISO I think are a little more flexible in that regard.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Andrew, for anyone who's done ISO, SOC, or whatever it might be, there's leeway in those too. Like, uh, all right, it's your first year doing this. We have the ability to say we'll come back next year. We have to fix this by next year. That's mm-hmm. not the case with FedRAMP. There's no come back next year. You're either going to get well, it or you're, you're, you're going to pay restart. your
0: three PAO again. But I don't. You, think you're going to restart out of these rates. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. It's a restart.
1: <laughs> you do get to come back.
0: You get to pay for the privilege. My goodness. <laughs> well, with that, I think I think we've um, I've been staring at this uh, on my yeah, table you haven't ha- here. You haven't
2: had much, Kane. I'm,
0: That's weird.
2: I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm a little I'm disappointed. Empty. I thought you'd be. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> hey,
1: you guys are drinking well, at this something. Point, we should
0: probably different. review this. Jacob, what, what are you drinking and how is it? Uh, and then we'll All talk right. about ours.
1: So, yeah, I don't have air conditioning in my office because I'm in a typical New England home, which older home, they don't have air conditioning. So this athletic light camera there is actually pretty good because it's probably like 90 degrees in here right now. Um, I would say this is a very drinkable light beer. I don't love Bud or Miller, those others, but this, I don't mind drinking this. That's my review of it. I don't mind drinking it. I would bring it to a pool party. I'll put it in the canoe type of thing. Is it the beard nerd dream of a great beer? No, it's, it's beer. This is beer. That's what it is. That's my that's my review. It's beer. It's, it's beer. Okay. It's that's, drinkable. That's
0: very it's, su- it's, it's succinct.
1: Yeah, it's drinkable. That's and that's not true for all things that say light on them, in my opinion.
0: Give us a scale of zero to Tom. We ten. do zero to ten, right? Or one yeah. to ten?
1: All right. Okay. So I'll do it. In, I'm going to do it three ways. On light beers, I say this is an eight. On non-alcoholic okay. beers, this is like a nine. It's like non-alcoholic beers. There's some real crap out there. Can I say that on the show? Are you guys pretty sure you can say that? Yeah. (laughs) Um, On a regular beer scale, though, this is probably like four to six, somewhere in that range. Like there's beers that have amazing flavor that this is not.
0: Um, Tom, do you want to go next or should I?
2: I'm happy to go. So I don't drink a lot of, of non-alcoholic beer. And while I've had a few of them, I found them to be wholly wanting in terms of flavor and all that. This, Uh, for a non-alcoholic beer actually does you know if if somebody gave this to me i would just think oh this is a pretty uncharacteristically um flat dark beer you know it's not it's not uh it it doesn't taste like it's a non-alcoholic beer i guess is really what i'm getting at you feel like you're drinking a beer and that's a big boon for me on a non-alcoholic beer don't know if i'll have many opportunities to want to drink it but still (laughs) um so you know, kind of using your your i'll use your two skit two of your three in terms of non-alcoholic, in my experience, I'd rate this very high. I'd give this like a seven. In terms of beer, in you know, I'll, I'll say in this sort of style, uh, it's kind of a, I don't know, uh, almost an amber bach um, mm-hmm. style. Uh, you know, I, w- I would probably give this a four. It's 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 missing some character that I would like to see in it. Uh, but again, it's it's drinkable, it's sessionable, so it's not terrible.
0: Okay, okay well, you're up. Would- would leave me then um so yeah so this exists Uh, i can agree that it is a fluid (laughs) that you can choose to drink um let's let's go with that uh (laughs) this is not the worst thing i've had in my mouth on this show at all this is not like uh, jacob you have possibly not seen all of what we've done but there are some things out there in the world that i should never do again uh fruit fruit beers are
1: are you not a shandy person no we haven't, we haven't um, done a
2: shandy. We should do a oh, shandy. Really?
0: We have done not done that. Okay, well, I, I assume when you said fruit beer on.
1: you meant shandy, but like, yeah, I guess. No, actually no, like a I mean like dragon fruit, fruit, pink beer,
0: uh just like pure nightmare And what people. was your I still cringe thinking of it? <laughs> what was your review, um, about Tom?
2: I, I like most everything we drink. So <laughs> Yeah. We're very different. We're very different in this world, Jacob. Oh that's body.
0: <laughs> so on this, I don't have the um I will, as a, as a beer, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not as sophisticated to say as beer, uh, regular beer, light beer, other amber colored beers. I, I'm going to give this a, a three. What did I give a three to, I'm going to give this a four because it's not as horrible as some of the things that I've drank. Um, having said that, I would not be proud showing this off to friends. Um, I don't, I've got a six pack of it and I'm already wondering what I do with the other five. You can send it uh,
1: to me. I'll but, drink them this summer. There you
0: go. (laughs) Perfect and easy. Well, with that, I think uh, that's the episode. So again, uh, thank you again for being on with us, Jacob uh, from Clumio. If people want to find you online, how would they find
1: you? LinkedIn is best. Uh, I'll plug my podcast. Our podcast is called On The Hook. That's the best place to go and listen to me ramble about bad ideas. Uh, And then we'll we'll have some guests from this show on very soon. So looking forward to that.
0: Fantastic. Well, with that, that's all for today. Please like and subscribe for more content from this, from Hyperproof, and uh, thanks everybody for watching.
2: Thank you.